Okay, good afternoon, everyone. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the January 22nd, 2024 regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Marianna Melgar, Chair of the Committee, joined by Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin and Vice Chair Dean Preston. The committee clerk today is John Carroll. Uh, I would also like to acknowledge the folks at SFGov TV, Ms. Susanna Enos, uh, for staffing us at this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Please ensure that you silence your cell phones and other electronic devices you've brought with you into the chamber today. If you have any documents to include as part of the file, you should submit them to me during the meeting. Public comment will be taken on each item on today's agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak along the right-hand side of the room. I'm pointing it out right now with my left hand. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. You may submit your public comment via email to my email address, which is j-o-h-n period c-a-r-r-o-l-l at sfgov.org. Or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. City Hall's address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlit Place, and the clerk's office is room 244. That's in San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit your public comment in writing, I will forward your comment to the supervisors, and I will also include your comments within the file upon which you are commenting. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of January 30th, 2024, unless otherwise stated. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, please call item number one. Agenda item number one is a resolution granting revocable permission to Otis Property Owner LLC to occupy and maintain the 12th Street Plaza on 12th Street at the corner of South Van Ness, fronting 90 12th Street, approving a non-exclusive public sidewalk easement for pedestrian access, passage, ingress, and egress of public sidewalk purposes, and adopting environmental findings under CEQA as well as making findings of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority, priority policies of Planning Code Section 101.1. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, we have Madison Tamp here from Supervisor Dorsey's office to present on this item. Thank you, Welcome. Chair Melgar. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and good afternoon, members of the Land Use Committee. Uh, SFGov TV, can you show the slides? Great. So later in this deck, I will share more about the resolution and actions, but for some context, this plaza will be constructed at 90 12th Street as part of the 30 Otis Project, also known as the Chorus Apartments, a very exciting and recently completed project consisting of over 400 residential units, over 2,000 square foot of ground floor retail space, and nearly 16,000 square feet of arts activity space. For some context, on this plaza, it lies in the hub, a relatively new neighborhood at the convergence of several other neighborhoods, including our district supervisor, Preston. This plaza is intended to be a centerpiece of this emerging neighborhood. In addition to providing much needed high quality public space, this plaza furthers the, hub's pl the hub plan's goal of creating a more walkable neighborhood. As you are probably aware, this is a very busy intersection with important transit connections, so there has been coordination between the project team and MTA to ensure proper traffic flow, and the plaza is expected to be completed this year. This plaza is the result of an in-kind agreement obligation between the city and the developer in lieu of the market and Octavia community infrastructure and Venice and market infrastructure fees. The resolution before you today fulfills this obligation by allowing DPW to enter into an encroachment and maintenance agreement with the permittee for installation and maintenance of these public improvements. The owner is obligated to monitor and maintain the plaza and maintain liability insurance. 
And when you heard this item at the last December meeting, you amended the resolution to add a final approval of a sidewalk easement conditionally approved in 2021, and that necessitated a continuance. There are no further amendments, so at the conclusion of this presentation and public comment, the supervisor asks that you move this item to the full board with a positive recommendation. Here's some quick information about uh, the architect who designed the space, Frida Escovedo. She has a very impressive resume and very impressive design, so we'd love to applaud her work. Thank you, I'm available for any questions. Uh, Burhane Geim from Public Works and representatives from the project team are here as well. Thank you, Ms. Tam. Uh, do we have any questions or comments, colleagues? I guess not, so let's go to public comment on this item, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. Do we have anyone here who has public comment on agenda item number one? If so, please come forward to the lectern at this time. Delaying for a moment in case we have any speakers. Madam Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Okay, in that case, public comment on this item is closed. Uh, Mr. Clerk, I'd like to make a motion that we move this forward uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation. On the motion offered by Chair Melgar that this resolution be sent to the Board of Supervisors with the recommendation of land use and transportation. Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, let's go to uh, item number two, please. Agenda item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code and administrative code to correct typographical errors, update outdated cross-references, and make non-substantive revisions to clarify or simplified code, simplify code language, affirming the uh, CEQA determinations and making findings of consistency with the general plan and other findings throughout the ordinance. Okay, uh, welcome. We have a presentation by Mr. Aaron Stark. Uh, good afternoon, committee members. <coughs> Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs for the Planning Department. The ordinance before you is the Code Corrections Ordinance. It was heard by the Planning Commission on September 28th of last year and recommended approval with modifications. Those modifications have already been added to the ordinance. Um, the, as you know, the Planning Code experiences frequent amendments, and although the Department and the City Attorney's Office carefully review all proposed changes to our code, sometimes errors inadvertently make it through. Uh, the planning department actively cl collects these errors and we periodically bundle them together into a code corrections ordinance, which is before you today. This ordinance will fix issues like uh, <coughs> grammatical errors, unintended cross-references, and accidental additions and deletions that undermine the legitimacy, legitimacy and enforceability of the planning code. Um, all the proposed changes are considered non-substantive um, and the policies in the implementation, um, in policies and implementation of the planning code. So unfortunately, the passage of some recent legislation has necessitated that this ordinance be amended to reflect changes in the code. Um, so I'll be proposing new amendments to this ordinance, which are not substantive. However, they have not been signed to form. Um, so I'll read them out loud so that you have a general idea of what they are, uh, but we won't be asking that they added be to the ordinance today. Um, the first amendment is on page two, starting on line 11. We're proposing to delete section 121.1 from the ordinance. The zoning districts being added under the code corrections ordinance are all outside the priority equity geographies SUD and no longer have a large lot development CU requirement. Therefore, the changes to this section are no longer required. 
Uh, next, Section 134 should be amended to address reordering and deletions in recently passed ordinances. So on page 6, line 18, um, it should read subsection D, rear yard location requirements, instead of subsection C, basic rear yard requirements. Also on page 6, um, the text starting on line 20 and ending on line 24 should be deleted. And on page 7, line 1, the section identifier capital D should be changed to a 2. Again, these changes are of structural changes that happen to the code because of other ordinances. Um, as I mentioned, we don't have them drafted to form yet, so I would ask the committee to continue this item for one week so that they can be drafted. And I'm also happy to answer any questions. Okay, thank you, Mr. Starr. Uh, President Peskin. Thank you. Um, on page 26, there is an amendment to section to Article 10, Section 1110, uh, that has, um, and there's a similar change in the next Section 1111.1, um, that implicates a piece of legislation that's been floating out there on signs in Articles 10 and 11 districts that's, I think, pending before this committee. Uh, any thoughts about that, Mr. Starr? Um, <coughs> I don't right now. I can look into it and uh, get back to you and um, maybe propose some changes to that section. And I think needed. the legislation that's floating out there makes, takes away the exemption for business signs in 10 and 11, but I noticed that here they are being reinserted in 11, but not in t Article 10. Anyway, we can figure that out in the intervening week. Yeah, thank you for bringing it to my attention. I'll look for it. Okay, uh, let's hear uh, public comment on this item if there's no more questions or comments. Thank you, Madam Chair. Do we have anyone here in the chamber who has public comment on agenda item number two related to this code corrections ordinance? If so, please come forward to the lectern at this time. Madam Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Um, I'd like to make a motion that we continue this item until next week. Right. Mr. Starr, next week. Yeah. On the motion offered by the chair that this ordinance be continued to the regular meeting of January 29th, 2024. Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Motion passes. Let's go to item number three, please, Mr. Clerk. Agenda item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to clarify the ministerial approval process for certain accessory dwelling units known as ADUs, meeting certain requirements in single-family and multifamily buildings and to permit certain ADUs in the rear yard under the city's local discretionary approval program and then making the appropriate findings throughout the ordinance. Uh, thank you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Clerk, this item was continued uh, from uh, before. Um, we, I understand we do have amendments that will require re-referral, um, and I will turn it over to you. Ms. Flores, welcome. Thank you, Chair Melgar. Um, good afternoon, Supervisors, Veronica Flores, Planning Department staff. This item is the state-mandated accessory dwelling unit, or ADU ordinance, introduced by the mayor. This item did appear in front of you on December 11, 2023, and was continued to today's hearing to be able to provide more um, clarity on the amendments being proposed. 
As a reminder, this round of ADU legislation is to make our code consistent with state law, as well as respond to HCD's letter dated October 26, 2023. This ordinance covers new bills, Assembly Bill um, 2221 and Senate Bill 897, both of which were effective last year. Um, also, this ordinance is needed for the city to receive its pro-housing designation from HCD. There was a new version circulated last week. Um, I believe the clerk also has some hard copies available for you today. Please note in that email that um, we did mention one amendment relating to removing the notice of special restrictions requirement. However, that was not ready for committee today, so we will hold off on that amendment um, after planning commission's review and when we return to this body. Um, regarding the version sent out last week, um, for clarity, we did highlight changes in response to HCD's latest letter in green, and then all of the other amendments are highlighted in yellow. And that does include the Planning Commission recommended modification to exclude ADUs from dwelling unit mix requirements. I also want to note that the latest draft also takes the ADU programs out of Section 207, and then places them in their own code sections. So the local ADU program would now be under 207.1, and the state-mandated ADU program would be re relocated to 207.2. All of the references have also been updated. And um, just regards to the highlighting mentioned Earlier, we did not highlight the relocations from 207 into 207.1 and 2, just because it would be cutting and pasting of the majority of the text and didn't want to um, make it even more confusing by having the entire version highlighted for you. So we do have us, um, we did circulate a summary of the amendments, um, Mr. Starr had shared these amendments at the last hearing in December, again, we've provided them in hopefully a clearer version for you um, in the email last week, as well as hard copies available today. Um, since Mr. Starr had gone over them last week, I will not go into them um, through the full list unless so requested by the committee today. Um, we do ask that the amendments be made in committee and continued to call the call of the chair, and then we will return to this body after we bring the item back to Planning Commission. Um, this concludes the staff presentation. Again, um, please advise if you would like me to read through the summary of all the amendments today. Thank you. Okay, uh, yes, President Paskin, stay there, Ms. Flores, because I suspect we have questions. Thank you, Chair Melgar, and I'm fine with the notion that we make amendments and then it has to be referred back and then we take action. But I think we probably should make the entire universe of amendments and a couple of things occur to me. One is given the robust amount of action that we are seeing out of the state of California lately, um, it occurs to me uh, that this is catching up with changes to state law, as Ms. Flores said, that happened a year ago. 
But there are, are more, mostly courtesy of our own assembly delegation, that have gone into effect on the first day of this month, I believe, uh, including uh, Haney, who has taken away the right of uh, most appeals to the Board of Appeals, and that uh, there's old language in here that might mislead members of the public and they wouldn't know that Assemblymember Haney took that right away from them. And then uh, there are also changes to state law courtesy of Assemblymember Ting that uh, broaden, vastly broaden the ability to sell off ADUs as sole and separate parcels, um, and that is not reflected here. So rather than piecemealing this, I mean, maybe at some point the state legislature will leave this to cities that know what they're doing and how to do it, um, but uh, we might want to include those things. Um, and then there are some things in here that I would like to visit with my colleagues about, uh, namely in and around notice, uh, which was taken out here on page 21. I mean, this is existing law. Why, and I am on uh, subsection E in the middle of that page, but why we would take away notice from tenants seems rather I, extraordinary to me, and I think we want to make sure that tenants have all the information they should have, so I would suggest that we restore that stricken language. Um, on, then there is a usual conversation that we've had in this committee many times over many pieces of legislation that uh, relative to um, historic resources, which as set forth on page 27 and again on page 30, going to 34 um, is limited to buildings that are designated pursuant to Articles 10 and 11, um, and I think that could be broadened to um, known historic resources or eligible historic resources, so we could work on language like that in those two places, um, just not to nitpick, but uh, the language in here, I think, is maybe technically needs a little work because it says here, um, unless the existing building or authorized detached structure on the same lot is an Article 10 or Article 11 individual landmark. Article 11, as you know, Ms. Flores, is, and I'm not pointing at you relative to how the language got crafted, doesn't really have landmarks. It has category one through four buildings, so we probably want to fix that language. But the larger issue here is that I think we can... Um, include known, you know, category A historic resources. Uh, so that would be something I'd like to work on before this comes back to committee so that when we refer it back, all of that is included. And then finally, um, this is really a policy issue. Uh, so, and I've got 20 years into this because in 2003, I proposed... Um, and failed on a six to five vote uh, having ADUs in San Francisco and um, provided that they were done pursuant to rent control. And that has been our scheme locally ever, well, I didn't prevail on that legislation, but years later um, it came of age and is now the law of San Francisco. The state um, program 
obviates our local rent controls, despite the fact that I brought that to Assemblymember Ting's attention several times. Um, but uh, obviously we want to encourage people to use the local program um, and certainly the way this is crafted, it requires strict compliance with the state program. And if you don't, you can go into the local program. To that end, on page 34 in um, subsection D1B, uh, I actually think that we can remove B from the hybrid program and encourage more people to go with the local program. Um, so those are things that I would like to get our arms around, make those amendments here and then refer back. Um, and I'd like the city, I'll work with the city attorney to draft those. So I'm, I'm sorry, President Peskin. So are you suggesting that we continue this until such amendments are drafted? Okay. Um, and so if that is the case, I'd like to hear from uh, Ms. Flores. No, you're not <coughs> off the hook yet. Um, so do we have any kind of uh, deadline in terms of this uh, pro-housing designation from HCD by which we must make these amendments? Um, I'm not aware of a specific okay. deadline, um, just as soon as possible. And we've, um, we were hoping to get the amendments out of committee today. As you know, we need to return, but I'm not aware of a specific deadline. Okay, sounds good. Uh, can I ask you like one technical question? And that is uh, the clarification that the city has 60 days to approve these. What is the, um, the uh, timeline for the city approved ADUs? So for the local program, yes. is that your question? Um, I will defer to my colleague, Ms. Fossey, for okay. the specific information. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Natalia Fossey, Planning Department staff. Under the local program, uh, Mayor Breed issued an executive directive, I believe back in 2018, uh, that requires the city to act on an ADU through our local program in 120 days. So it's longer for the local program than the state program. So what's the incentive then? Um, local program allows more ADUs. Um, generally, multifamily properties go through the local program. There's a bit more process related to it. Um, state program uh, offers ministerial review, but oftentimes less ADUs. Yeah, but it's also like a disincentive for rent control. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, do you want to make a motion, uh, President Peskin? Uh, I would like to... Let me ask the city attorney. I'm happy. I don't know if we can get this done in a week. Is two weeks? Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, um, just to play it safe, I think a two-week continuance makes more sense uh, given there are a number of amendments that you've requested. Okay. Does that work for you? Um, can, can the subsequent amendments that you were thinking would come after re-review by the Planning Commission be done by in that timeline as well, and we can get it all done at the same time? I believe that is the goal, to have it all captured, um, and that includes the notice of special restrictions item that I had mentioned earlier. So um, two weeks will suffice for this. And um, if I can just clarify one item that President Peskin had mentioned earlier, with respect to the notice, um, that was actually one of the specific items that HCD had called out as um, 
in our current law that's not compliant with the state law. So um, the amendment you see is in direct response to um, the review of our um, current law. And um, I don't know if the deputy state attorney has anything to add to that, but um, we would not be able to make one of the requested amendments that um, you mentioned today. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Um, I trust that that will be pointed out by the city attorney when uh, things get working and it comes back to this committee. So uh, let's, um, you, you did make a, a, a motion, right, to continue this for two weeks? Yeah. Uh, so moved. <laughs> I did now. Okay, thank you. Um, we will take public comment on this item, nevertheless. Thank you. Do we have anyone here who has public comment on agenda item number three? Please come forward to the lectern, and I'll start your time when you begin. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioner, uh, Supervisors. Ryan Patterson, uh, General Counsel for Yes in My Backyard. Um, I am following up on my email of December 11, in which we note a few concerns about the proposed ordinance. Uh, in particular, as this is going back for some perhaps additional process, would encourage the supervisors to take a look at the uh, proposed reduction in square footages of the ADUs in this ordinance. Unless that's been taken out in the new amendments, the most recently uh, publicly available version of it reduces the size of uh, ADUs to 850 or 1,000 square feet, which is less than the maximum as of January 1, 2018. That means that it violates SB 330's prohibition against a lessening of residential intensity. Um, I think we want to encourage ADUs, and so allowing for more space, more families, is actually a very good thing. We should not be reducing that. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Ryan Patterson, do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number three related to the state-mandated accessory dwelling unit controls? Seeing none, Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, President Peskin has made a motion, so let's take roll on that. And the motion that I'm recording here in the book is to continue this item to the February 5th regular meeting of land use and transportation offered by Member Peskin. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Thank you. That motion passes. Let's go to, apply, uh, to item number four, please. Agenda item number four is an ordinance amending the planning code to encourage housing production by exempting under certain conditions specified housing projects from the notice and review procedures of section 311 in areas outside of priority equity geographies which are identified in the housing element as areas or neighborhoods with a high density of vulnerable populations. Removing the conditional use requirement for several types of housing projects, including housing developments on large lots in areas outside the priority equity geographies special use district, and affirming the appropriate findings related to CEQA and other planning code and general uh, plan provisions. Okay, we have uh, Mr. Starr. Or do you want to uh, make comments? Okay. Mr. Sarr? Uh, the amendments we asked for were added last time, and I believe uh, maybe President Peskin has amendments for Chinatown, or? I didn't, I still <laughs> don't know, I mean, insofar as these are not being based, 311 used to be building permits, and then you guys said planning entitlements, and I said 
define that and then where are we? Uh, well, we don't have a specific, what we intend by that is, you know, projects under state and local laws um, and whether or not the project is consistent with those applicable laws. Um, and so those include anything from like environmental review and consisting with the planning code and conformity with the general plan. We don't have a definition written up for you. Um, we we do anticipate bringing a code corrections ordinance based on the constraints reduction, and we can include it in that. Um, if you're not comfortable with that, then we can ask the city attorney to draft something and have it ready for you by next week. Yeah, I'm not down with this piecemeal. Someday in the future, we'll define something that I'm voting on now stuff. It, it, I mean, it's like we're coming up with a new definition that is undefined, that is taking away a very well-defined definition that has been around for decades, and then it's like, okay, well, you're gonna interpret it, I'm gonna interpret it, the public's gonna sue us. It's like, let's just define it. That's what I said at the last meeting. And it's like, we're just, and then it's gonna be figured out in a future code correction. No, let's just define it. I mean. So it sounds like we're not gonna act on this today and perhaps uh, okay. we need to continue this. We can continue for one week and I think we can have one a definition week? ready for you by next week, yeah. Okay, sounds good. Uh, it, and that's the only amendment that we'll be adding to this. President Peskin, is, is, that, is it safe to continue it one week? Are there I, other I, I think so. I mean, I have heard from, and these get very specific, and this has to do, and there may be members of the public here to testify on this, but this has to do with something that popped up around Section 311 notice for the Article 8 Chinatown districts. Um, I think there's been some confusion on that that we need to iron out. Um, and then uh, that kind of morphed into another conversation, which was um, other little Chinatowns that are not in the PEG. I mean, we can take care of the 311 thing in a, a number of different ways. We can keep it in there. We can say notice under, you know, in all the PEGs, uh, priority equity, equity geographies. but there are also, has come to my attention, I mean, I've known this, but there are kind of little Chinatowns on Clement and Geary that are not in the priority equity geographies that I think there's some interest in notice there. So, but we can, we can figure our way through that. But I, I, I think a week is fine. Um, but members of the public might want to maybe here to speak about the 311 Article 8 thing, because Article 8 has never had 311 notice. So... Well, Chinatown has never had 311 right. notice. Article 8 has. Um, and so now 311 only covers building expansions um, or demo new construction. Um, it no longer um, covers changes of use. So if you add Chinatown to Section 311, it will just be for expansions of an existing building envelope or demolition of new construction. Right. Unless those changes of use are subject to conditional use, in which case there's notice. Unless, yeah. But that's a different notification, right. not under 311. Right. So. Okay, so let's go to public comment on this item. I will just say that, you know, when this issue was raised uh, back in December, um, I had conversations with the folks in Chinatown, and this will, was a little more complicated than they had foreseen, um, and I thought we were going to be working on this this whole time, and so I'm, like, really hesitant to just give it a week and think that we can figure it out without checking in with folks that they've actually come up with something. So I would just suggest 
that maybe we would give it a little longer than a week. And then, you know, if, uh, you know, we have come up with something, we can take it the next, I I promise we will calendar at the earliest convenience, but, oh, okay. We have, we have someone. (laughs) So come on up. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's call for a public comment on the item. We will begin public comment now on agenda item number four related to the housing production changes to the planning code. If you have public comment on this item, please come forward to lectern and then begin when you're ready. Uh, Hi, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Avi. I'm from the Chinatown Community Development Center. Similar to some of the comments you all have made, uh, you know, we worked last year with the supervisor's office to uh, make equity amendments uh, to the housing ordinance. but incl- and one of those included adding Chinatown uh, mixed-use districts to get 311 noticing. However, um, as you all have said, we do need more due diligence to make sure uh, the the application of 311 is more widely understood. Like what it does is actually understood, and that it truly protects the communities that we all are trying to serve. So that's why we also uh, request continuance of this item. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number four? It's a little bit of motion. Please come forward if you have public comment on four. Madam Chair, it appears we have no further, further comments. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Mr. Clerk, if I continue it to the call of the chair, would that um, require re-noticing? This item no longer makes changes to the zoning map, and so it doesn't require that additional 10 days of notice. Okay, so why don't we continue it to the call of the chair, and if we can um, you know, schedule it earlier than that, I trust that we will communicate and do that. That's, I'll make a motion. On the motion offered by the chair that this ordinance be continued to the call of the chair, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Great, that motion passes. Uh, Mr. Clerk, please call the next item, number five. Agenda item number five is an ordinance amending the fire code to require filing with the fire department records of five-year inspection of fire sprinkler systems and annual inspection of fire alarm and detection systems, mandate a filing fee to ensure that the costs of providing for such filings are recovered without producing revenue that is significantly more than such costs, and require a minimum five feet access from the public right-of-way to residential structures on newly subdivided lots, and directing the clerk of the Board of Supervisors to forward the ordinance to the California Building Standards Commission upon final passage. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. We are now joined by the supervisor from District 1, Supervisor Connie Chan, the sponsor of this legislation. Welcome, Supervisor Chan. The floor is yours. Thank you, Chair Malgar. I really appreciate it. Good afternoon, colleagues. Thank you so much for um, hearing this item today. Um, But before we go into the um, presentation on this legislation, uh, if I may, I would like to just give some remarks as a reminder. Um, I I made a very similar remark when I first introduced uh, this legislation, uh, but just wanted to reiterate why this legislation is before you today. Um, There are lessons learned uh, from the deadliest fire in the U.S history in Maui and um, but at that time we weren't sure uh, what they were uh, when it first took place and as you know even our firefighters in San Francisco have gone to Maui to provide the support Um, but there are many lessons learned from there that uh, for the very basic we understood that every second count uh, in the time of a fire um, because we can't be sure um, which direction it was going to go, how it was going to be, 
uh, and what are the circumstances for the people living in those spaces uh, or, or working in those spaces. It's the reason why we know that sprinkler systems for the very least, can save lives. Um, it will buy people time. It could buy people time. It does buy people time uh, to get out of the building uh, when the fire occurs. Um, so you will see the first thing of this legislation is to require that building owners file their records of five-year inspection uh, of the fire sprinkler systems and the annual inspections of fire alarm and detection system with the fire department. It already exists, though, uh, in our fire code. Um, but by requiring that building owners to file these records with the fire department um, and collecting fees at a cost recovery basis, that the city then can be more proactive in inspecting these potentially non-compliance buildings. Um, and that is the first sections of this uh, legislation. Um, and the second part, colleagues, uh, is that it's really, um, and, and I, I, well, I would say the pictures speak louder than words, which is going to come from our fire marshal, Ken Coughlin, which I'm so grateful for his work. Um, you will see photos and presentation that really explain why we are asking for uh, a fire access uh, mandating minimum five feet. Um, I grew up in San Francisco's Chinatown, uh, bordering North Beach. Uh, in fact, I live uh, right across from Beach Blanket Babylon. Um, I grew up in a space where uh, it really is actually quite dense and built out throughout North Beach. You will see an apartment building in the front, but they're actually really quite dense and additional spaces in the back with decks and, and uh, sometimes, frankly, illegal in-laws then. And uh, we know that how hard it has always been. I would give props to uh, Station 28 and Station 2 uh, for going into these really tight spaces, Fire Station 28 and Fire Station 2, going to these tight spaces to try to rescue uh, people out um, during a fire or whatever, uh, including a medical emergency. Uh, it is with that thoughts and understanding and to realize that we're going to continue to build our city out and creating more density, uh, including Westside. Uh, we don't want to repeat some of the mistakes that we see um, in Chinatown or in North Beach as they currently are and creating really tight spaces for our medical uh, people, uh, firefighters, EMTs going in to do rescue. So it's the reason why. Uh, it's not an arbitrary five feet, by the way. This is actually tested, uh, evaluated by the fire department. They have done the work to show that a minimum five feet is what's required to be able to get the gurney through and through and get their equipment in and out. Um, at the end of the day, this is a legislation that saves lives. Um, it, that's the, with the goal. I understand that, of course, we want to build more housing, um, but not at the expense of our safety. Uh, this is why the, the really, uh, legislation before you is really to uh, mandate uh, what is necessary. We're not doing anything more and we're not doing anything less, but what is necessary to save lives in the case of fire and emergency. So with that, I too hope to have your support, and I'm going to hand this to, um, if I may, Chair, uh, to our Fire Marshal Ken Coughlin to make the presentation. Welcome, Marshal Coughlin. Thank you, uh, Chair Melgar, Supervisor Preston, Supervisor Peskin, and Supervisor Chan. Thank you. Um, I just want to give some visuals on what we're talking about in this presentation. If you watch the Building Inspection Commission meeting, it may look very similar, um, but uh, it provides some uh, visuals for you. So what you see here, this is from the, the planning guide, and this is kind of where our city could go. 
uh, the idea of having a unit in the front or one or two units in the front and a up to two units up to 20 feet high in the rear of um, whether it be our west side or any other district within um, the city. As you can see in this photo here in the center one where I point that arrow to, this is currently, that's all that is gonna allow us to get back there, to get to that back unit. Um, it's shown here, there's no dimensions on it, but what we're asking for is uh, currently for SB9, Senate Bill 9, that allows for a lot split. Um, it says we could require up to four feet. And what we're asking for is one more foot, 12 inches, so we can actually work in that space. So I wanted to show you, as Supervisor Chan had mentioned, we had done some testing. And this is what it looks like when we're trying to use, the fire department's trying to use a tradesman to get to the back. Essentially, it could be two single family homes in the back of it. So for three foot space, you have to carry the 180 pound ladder because of the 20 foot tall buildings. We have to use a 35 foot extension ladder to get to the rear. Normally we'd like to carry it flat with four people. And even that you can see, that I believe that's around four feet in those first two pictures of space. That barely that's them, as you can see, they squeezing down the hallway. Now you can see this is the fire again on 720 Masonic. You can see the tradesmen's over on the right hand side. What you see in the front of the building, and you can see what's happening in the back. We had to get to the back of that building to go ahead and fight fire. Imagine if there was another building back there that was on fire. How are we gonna get all of those people, which is approximately 40 people who responded on the first alarm, to get down that hallway with hoses, with ladders, with axes, with scots, everything you needed to get down there and also remove people from that situation at the same time. It's impossible with three feet. This is an example of the west side, obviously a fire that these homes are not built with tradesmen, most of them that you'll see on the west side, they don't have a space down there. So we're not precluding the getting, changing those buildings. And those places would have to be rebuilt if you were going to build a unit in the back anyway. What we're asking for is that if it's an empty lot, it's five feet space all the way to the sky, open. And if it's an existing building, because SB9 states if you take a building like one of these homes and you tear it down, you rebuild it in the same footprint, it's considered existing, you'd be able to build a five foot wide corridor with sprinklers in it that allows us to go from the street to that back, those back units, okay? So this is for a lot split. Now let's talk, what planning department needs or with Senate Bill 9, they're looking for ministerial approval. Uh, if we change this or we get this changed or to five feet, then if it meets all the requirements, planning department can actually push these projects through much faster. Um, if they cannot meet these requirements, then they have to go to objective, or this is an objective standard, then we have to go through discretionary review and extend that whole process. So by doing this, this allows the planning department, building department, fire department to just go ahead and check the boxes off. It meets the requirements and then we can easily pass uh, this through and, and continue building housing. So this is not stopping housing, this is just making it safe or for our firefighters to actually get to those rear buildings. Um, some people, some comments have been, uh, what happens if it's just one ADU in the back? Well, that may be presently, but the legislation allows you, the Senate Bill 9 allows you to build up to two units in the rear, and you see in this first picture, two units in the rear at 20 feet tall, four feet from the fence line all the way around it. Okay, so 
those, those are some big buildings back there. And do they have to be sprinklered? Depending if it's an ADU, it doesn't need to be sprinklered. If these are new units, and of course, part of the California fire code, a building code, it would have to be sprinklered. But still, it could be a type five construction, which is still wood frame. And we still have an emergency happening in the back of a building that we can't see from the street. So I urge your support on extending this from four feet, which is currently an SB9, to five feet, because most of the legislation that comes out of Sacramento is very difficult to apply to San Francisco. With our zero lot lines, our hills, it doesn't work. If you live out in suburbia, the typical lot line or space between your home and the fence is five, 10, or 15 feet. We don't have that here. We allow less because we allow, excuse me, rated walls on the property line. So we have to figure out a way is how do we get our firefighters to the back? And this was one way to do that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Marshall. Uh, any uh, more comments, uh, uh, Supervisor Chen? Just one uh, point of clarification, uh, Fire Marshal Kaufman, and just wanted to make sure that it, it is currently state law that for a detached ADU, it's not required. Actually, in fact, we cannot install a sprinkler system. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Thank you. Um, colleagues, uh, again, I, I think you heard loud and clear that, the, again, the, the understanding is that we need sprinkler. We want to mandate sprinkler system. We understand it, um, that with a sprinkler system, it really saves lives. It gives pe by people time that they can get out. Uh, but in this case, uh, because of state law, it somehow, for whatever reason, and from what I learned, it's because of cost prohibitive, it, that we actually cannot mandate a sprinkler system for detached ADU. That's problematic for San Francisco if we're actually going to continue to build denser and more ADUs, which I actually am supportive of building ADUs. We need them on the west side. We want them on the west side so can, people can actually grow old and have real retirements and raise their families. And, you know, and, and yet without a sprinkler system and the, these attached ADUs, then for the very least, we should be able to mandate a five feet uh, fire access. For all transparency, and, you know, my partner is a firefighter in our San Francisco Fire Department, and in fact, currently work at the permits, and just having those, so for with that, I just wanna say, you know, the understanding is also, we're seeing these access, they're cleared, but in many, many spaces, as we know, they are not. They actually, are, there are gonna be times where they could be with, pile up with debris and trash cans, and there could be actually other items in the way. And I know for sure uh, we see a lot of that in Chinatown and, and in North Beach, where I grew up, oftentimes we see hoarding as an issue. And, and that actually also now in the Richmond, too, is to see some of the single-family homes, um, you know, as they continue to build out with ADU. It's not as an easy, direct access as we think it is. Um, and, and with this mandate, hopefully, then we can remind people why this is important and critical. So I urge you to have your support um, and, and thank you. And I don't even wanna go into the whole collapse zone uh, and about earthquake, but that's a topic for discussion another day, but it's coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marshall. And thank you, uh, Supervisor Chan. Um, let's go to public comment on this item, please. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment on agenda item number five related to these fire code changes, please come forward to the lectern at this time. And if you're waiting for your opportunity to speak, please line up to speak along the wall that I'm pointing out with my left hand. Please begin. Good afternoon, uh, members of the committee. Jake Price on behalf of the Housing Action Coalition. Um, respectfully asking for a continuance today. Um, we have 
uh, reached out to Supervisor Chan's office um, to discuss this legislation in more detail because we do not think that fire safety and housing production uh, needs to be at odds. And we have some concerns with the way the legislation is drafted currently, specifically around the five-foot access point. Um, so we'd love to see some iteration of this legislation get passed um, and just want to make sure that we hash out the details in an appropriate fashion ahead of time. Um, a lot of our design members, um, architects, have said that it, would this or should this legislation pass as currently drafted, it would kill numerous uh, lot split projects of theirs, and that is a concern of ours, especially as we are looking to uh, add density on the west side with this RENA cycle. So respectfully asking for your continuance today, and thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number five? Madam Chair. Okay, public comment on this item is now closed. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you. I just wanted to remind you colleagues that this legislation was first introduced on November 7 of 2023. Uh, today is January 22nd. Uh, we have well over, um, frankly, two months of time. And clearly there were holidays. Um, but uh, I'm also happy to continue this conversation. Uh, what I would love, though, is for us to move this legislation forward. As we know, we can always come back for second bites of the apple. If we uh, look to uh, have additional language and amendments, we can always uh, introduce, um, you know, a legislation to amend uh, at a later date. I just look forward to seeing this so that we can actually move forward uh, with this legislation. Uh, partly also is that it is, um, we, we want to get on the, so the fire code actually was just updated and that we, we wanted to actually have this move forward. And uh, when I say fire code updated, it's both when the California uh, state, uh, our state fire code updated, then it also impact our local codes and back and forth. And so I just uh, want to make sure that we start that conversation uh, for the next cycle of update. Um, and so I urge for your support and hope that you can move this legislation uh, to full board with recommendation today. And I'm more than happy to continue to have conversation uh, which I can bring in stakeholders especially like our fire marshal and others and architects to contain this conversation Madam Chair, I'll, Madam Chair I'll make a motion to send item 5 to the full board with a positive recommendation okay. and the motion offered by member Peskin that the ordinance be sent to the Board of Supervisors with a recommendation of land use and transportation committee vice chair Preston Preston I member Peskin Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes. Great. That motion passes. Thank you. Congratulations, Supervisor Chan. Uh, let's please call item number six. Agenda item number six is a hearing on the emergency firefighting water system funding and design for the west side of San Francisco. Thank you, Supervisor Chan, for uh, bringing this item to committee. This is something is of high importance to me and also uh, to Supervisor Engardio, as you know. Thank you so much. Um, so the floor is yours. Thank you. I, I want to say, you know, just uh, to say that it really, um, we're, I'm picking up the work um, that has been uh, uh, I'm only building upon the work that was really left behind by Supervisor uh, Sandra Lee Fewer, the former budget chair, uh, also put forward with a bond 
best measure uh, with the mayor and with uh, you colleagues here um, to make sure that we have a emergency firefighting water system built out on the wet side, seeing that the lack of coverage. Um, of course, uh, Supervisor Gordon Marr was part of that um, advocacy work as well. Um, with that said, though, um, like Chair Malgar mentioned, now as uh, supervisors on the west side, uh, during one of the uh, audit, uh, government audit uh, and oversight committee, thanks to uh, Supervisor Preston, who's actually the chair of it, that we discover um, the lack of funding uh, to be able to complete the design for the system on the west side. Um, originally, it was planned to extend it all the way to the Richmond uh, at this point with the funding available, which is roughly about $100 million allocation, is not enough to actually cover that at all. Um, and so uh, follow up with that uh, com that hearing uh, I was I've been meeting <coughs> with uh, our um, fire department as well as our public utility commission to, you know to the teams to figure out how do we do this how do we make sure that we do build this out and fulfill the commitment that we have to the voters uh, granted during that committee hearing what we have learned is the the original estimate um, for to build out the system was roughly about 15 million dollars per mile um, but after a more realistic uh, cost estimates but also more up-to-date <coughs> uh, cost estimates that we learned is roughly about 42 million dollars per mile and that's clearly a very uh, 42 million dollars per mile it's from 15 million it's called clearly a very significant um, change uh, and it requires some um, really effort and I want to thank uh, really, uh, Katie Miller, Director for the Water Capital Programs at SIPUC, Brian Strong, our Director, uh, Office of Resilience and Capital Planning, uh, and of course, Darius uh, Looptrop, Deputy Chief uh, for the San Francisco Fire Department, uh, but really the entire fire department um, for the effort. It's a team effort that we are able to put together before you this presentation uh, with some update, uh, both in design and, and, and financing. Um, and so I'm going to leave that for folks to do the presentation. And uh, thank you so much for all of you for being here. Okay, we have uh, Katie Miller uh, with the SFPUC Director of Water Capital Programs, Brian Strong with the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning, and Darius Latrope, Deputy Chief of the Fire Department. So uh, welcome, Ms. Miller. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors Melgar, Chan, Preston, and Peskin. Uh, Supervisor Chan, thank you so much for the warm welcome to uh, myself and my colleagues, uh, Brian Strong from the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning, and Deputy Chief Darius Luttrup from the San Francisco Fire Department to share an update today on the city's emergency firefighting water system, uh, particularly related to funding and design for improvements and emergency preparedness on the west side of San Francisco. Today I'll present on our emergency firefighting water uh, system funding and accomplishments to date, potential future build out of the system improvements, and the status of currently funded projects. Then Brian will present on the recent financing, financing study that was prepared for future funding opportunities for the improvements. And then Deputy Chief Latrop will present on San Francisco Fire Department operations to assure emergency preparedness until future improvements can be implemented. 
As you are aware, the Emergency Firefighting Water System is a high-pressure water supply network for fighting fires in San Francisco that was originally built in the 1910s following the 1906 earthquake. The system is operated and maintained by the SFPUC in close coordination with the San Francisco Fire Department. In 2010, the first Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response uh, General Obligation Bond Package was approved by SF voters for a total of $417 million. Of that, $102 million, or approximately 24% of the bond package, was dedicated to providing infrastructure improvements to the then 100-year-old emergency firefighting water system. In 2014 and 2020, similar ESER bonds were approved for a total of 400 and 629 million respectively, with 55 million and 151 million dedicated to emergency firefighting water system and capital improvements for a total in the three bond packages of $308 million dedicated to the improvements, or approximately 21% of the bond packages. Significant accomplishments and capital improvements to the emergency firefighting water system have been achieved to date, as shown in the red lines and shapes in this graphic. These include the completed projects listed on the right side of the slide, including 30 new cisterns, uh, major reservoir tank and pump stations, seismic and facility improvements, and significant pipeline replacement and capacity expansion projects. In addition, the emergency firefighting water system pipelines have been expanded in several locations across the city, and design is underway for new pipelines in the western part of San Francisco, as well as replacement of two fireboat manifolds for connecting the um, San Francisco Fire Department's fireboats to the emergency firefighting water system. In 2021, the SFPUC published a planning study looking at potential development in San Francisco by the year 2050 and what the corresponding potential post-earthquake firefighting water demands might be for this future city. This was in response to a 2019 Board of Supervisors resolution requesting detailed planning studies evaluating neighborhood-level firefighting water demands, as well as a comprehensive citywide plan looking at potential firefighting demands for the year 2050. The graphic in the slide shows the recommended future pipelines the city would need to build to meet the projected firefighting water demands. The total cost of this build-out was anticipated to at least $4 billion, and this is an early planning level cost estimate that would be anticipated to increase. Note that the assumptions in this study, such as number and location of fire ignitions, cause of post-earthquake fires, and types of building materials may change, and this study needs to be updated as the city and environmental conditions evolve. With the focus of ESER 2010 and 2014 bond funding was adding cisterns, improving pump stations, and rehabilitating existing facilities, the SFPUC was recommended to focus the ESER 2020 bond funding on new pipe distribution networks in the western region of San Francisco. Planning studies by the SFPUC over the past 10 years developed the concept of the potable emergency firefighting water system. This system provides the same high-pressure, seismically reliable firefighting water, but also provides day-to-day -day drinking water and will survive a major earthquake to provide drinking water after the fires are extinguished. Note that this dual-function system is modeled after Japanese water systems. 
These are, there are very few connections to the potable system. So after an earthquake, valves will close and the system will be isolated for firefighting. After firefighting, the pipelines can be used to provide drinking water, even if many of the other pipelines throughout the system have failed. And another very strong benefit of this is because this is for potable system as well as emergency firefighting, this system can be funded by water, uh, SFPUC water, 10-year CIP bonds, as well as city's general obligation bonds. So there's two funding sources for these. Uh, this slide shows the currently funded alignment of new potable emergency firefighting water system pipelines from Easter 2020 and water CIP bonds in the western side of the city. Two contracts have already completed construction for about one mile of 36-inch diameter uh, potable emergency pipelines along 19th Avenue and Vicente. The design phase is underway for two major contracts to install about five miles of 42-inch diameter and 36-inch diameter pipelines connecting to the installed pipelines from Lake Merced Pump Station in the south to 42nd Avenue and Lawton in the north. The project's greatest challenge is that the most recent cost estimate, as Supervisor Chan shared, produces significantly higher project costs than previously estimated in the planning phase. The higher costs are primarily due to scope refinement and addition of design details, uh, which are great for this uh, co you know, complex and robust firefighting system. Also, post-COVID market conditions have significantly higher materials and labor costs, and we're seeing that with all our capital improvement projects across the board. The project team has developed and is implementing some cost-saving alternatives, such as lower number of valves and potentially smaller diameter pipelines. In addition, the SFPUC has evaluated what costs should appropriately be funded by water 10-year capital program bond funding, which we uh, have concluded is the cost for the seismically reliable water pipelines. This has resulted in a significant proposed increase in the water CIP bond funding in the SFPUC's 10-year uh, capital improvement budget that is uh, proposed to our commission. Uh, previously, we committed $55 million, and now we are recommending $145 million over 10 years to fund these pipelines. Uh, this will go to our commission this month uh, for approval in February. This slide shows the schedule for full build-out of these new emergency firefighting water system pipelines. The two major contracts for five miles of pipelines in the Sunset District will be completed in 28 and 2029. However, what should also be shaded in color in this graphic that we missed <laughs> um, is that the, using the water CIP bonds, the SFPUC will continue to plan and design the contract C and D alignments. These are shown in red and purple in the lower graphic. So these projects will be shovel ready for construction when the ESER 2028 bond funding becomes available. These next pipeline alignments in the Sunset and Richmond, Richmond districts could be completed by 2031, only seven years from today, adding significant additional fire protection and seismically reliable drinking water pipelines for these districts. In recent discussions with the San Francisco Fire Department, uh, they have expressed strong interest that repairing the existing fireboat manifolds along the waterfront is a high priority. 
The manifolds allow the fire boats to connect to the emergency firefighting water system and provide an additional water supply for the emergency firefighting water system by acting as floating pump stations that pump seawater into, uh, into the pipelines. There are five existing fireboat manifolds and two are recommended for replacement at Fort Mason and Pier 33 and a half. In addition, a new fireboat manifold is proposed at the future Mission Bay Ferry Landing, um, which is very cost effective since it's uh, new infrastructure uh, being done with the port project. And this will provide additional firefighting water for the new developments. Um, the photo in this slide shows that the current uh, Emergency firefighting water system pipeline at Fort Mason leading to a fireboat manifold that is exposed above water and is highly vulnerable to breaking during a seismic event. The fire department highly recommends that the PUC replace this failing asset as soon as possible. Thus, the SFPUC recommends committing funding from the Easter 2020 bonds to design and construct the new manifolds at Fort Mason and the Mission Bay Ferry Landing with construction in 2027 to 2029. In addition, the SFPUC and Fire Department are implementing emergency response protocols for Fort Mason until these upgrades are completed. Uh, in summary, uh, building out this system is expensive and will take a continuous and dedicated funding commitment from both general obligation bonds as well as water bonds. Uh, but we understand the importance of this system and we are committed to constructing these critical fire protection facilities as effectively and quickly as possible. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Brian to discuss the financing study recommendations. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Brian Strong, uh, Director of the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning. Good to see you all. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I just have a couple slides that I will quickly run through. Uh, when, you know, this, this what was AWSS and now EFWSS is something that certainly in terms of resilience has been really important to the city uh, going back many years uh, and certainly going back to the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake where we saw the benefit of, of using these tools to help put out the fires in the marina. Um, the, the recommendations that came from our study, and, and this is fairly typical of how we're looking at other large projects, um, is that the GEO bond program that has resulted in investments of $308 million so far um, continue to be really significant. Those are the largest investments that have ever been put into the system since it was created uh, after the great earthquake in 1906. Uh, we think that continued source of being able to, uh, to address maintenance and expansion issues uh, is really important. And we really welcome the addition of, um, that Katie just mentioned from the PUC of adding $145 million in water bonds. That is very much what we want to be doing with our capital dollars, taking advantage of other investments that we've made uh, and, and being able to combine them uh, to help improve the overall system. So we know we made big investments in the water system implementation program. Now we can sort of do what Japan has done and be able to combine it with, with the real foresight that was put into, um, into the emergency firefighting water supply system, you know, going back 100 years. 
so that geo bond program, the water bonds continue to be critical. Um, we do we do think that the development agreements that are happening, more of them are happening on the west side, uh, that those are going to continue to be uh, opportunities that we need to address. Um, those dollars come in different chunks. It's not always so consistent, but we think we, we still want to continue to pursue those and recommend the city pursue those. Um, we also uh, had, had some discussions about a community facility district or something along those lines where there are opportunities. Those should be pursued as well. Um, finally, I, I want to mention it, it's, you know, we are, we're changing and, and Katie talked about the fact that sources of fire and those types of things change. Um, we have a climate action plan now. One third of the fires are thought to have come from natural gas emissions that was produced in a report um, from Charlie, Charlie Scawthorn. We think there are strategies that we can reduce gas ignitions and one of the critical ones would be to have gas shut off valves. Um, these have already been implemented at over 15 different jurisdictions around California, including Los Angeles. Uh, we think that would be a, a somewhat simple but really effective way to reduce some of the gas um, emissions, or gas ignitions, sorry, ignitions. Uh, but also converting from, you know, natural gas to electric is going to have an impact on, on these types of opportunities. Uh, there are other types of uh, construction materials, uh, intumescent paint, and some of those things that can also be used to reduce uh, fire ignitions. Uh, so we don't want to lose sight of those types of opportunities. Right. Uh, if I may, yeah. through the chair, may I be recognized, Madam Chair? Yes, go ahead, President Peskin. You and I have had this conversation over a number of years yeah. about gas shutoffs, which are not relatively inexpensive they are actually cheap yes i mean this is not billions of dollars this is like 1200 bucks per home if I, even that much okay i yep. think install i mean i think that's with labor <clears throat> mm -hmm. which relative to a and don't get me wrong i understand and have been grappling with the notion of what i will forever call awss uh, for the west side of San Francisco for much of the last 20 years. But this is like an instant, a relatively instantaneous solution. It took decades to build out the east side's AWSS system. It is extremely costly. It will take many, many years. We have other multi-billion dollar <coughs> sea level rise commitments. And so I, yeah. I, I yeah. totally appreciate Supervisor Chan and Supervisor Fewer before her and Eileen Boken and all of this, but it just seems to me, what, what has prevented us from just mandating something that can stop a fire conflagration now? Like, why haven't we, I mean, maybe I'm pointing the finger at myself, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I mean, there's never been a robust proposal that has come out of resiliency to the board saying, here are your four options for how to do this. I, I, I mean, I know that Interestingly enough, I think if my recollection, recollection serves me, PG&E has pushed back against this right. because they are reticent to relight thousands of pilot lights in a relatively small seismic event. The little, I mean, the way yep. these things work is it's like literally a ball that pops over and shuts the gas line down. Yep. And it happens, I mean, you can like it, like if you hit it with a, baseball bat, you can make it happen. And that they're worried that you have like a 4.5 shaker 
and they've got to go, you know, turn on the pilot lights in a thousand homes. Right. It just seems to me like that's a cost worth bearing because, I mean, this is something we could do fast, achieve. I mean, this will all happen and, you know, we'll spend hundreds of millions of dollars. And, I mean, co-benefit pipeline freaks me out a little bit because the first time you put salt water in it, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, I'm not going to try to answer that question uh, around the salt water. I mean, I think the co-benefit, though, my understanding is that the co-benefit would not have salt water in it, those pipes. Mm, um, I don't think so. I think in Katie, a conflagration the it would. Yeah, the, the co-benefit pipelines will have Lake Merced water, uh, so it is non-potable. Um, we will do that for the big one, um, but we will start putting the fires out, you know, especially after a smaller earthquake or if it seems manageable, we'll start with the potable system first. Right, we'll start with, you know, seeing what we can do. And when the fire department says that's not enough, we got to go to Lake Merced, then it's a boil, or, boil water order for the city or for the, that outer region. But the benefit is that it's a singular pipeline, singular pipe loop that after the fires are put out, we can disinfect that pipeline pretty quickly. Our guys can do that in less than 24 hours with uh, chlorine bleach. And then we will have that potable pipeline network that people can get water from. Um, most likely that big of an earthquake, we're gonna be issuing a boil water order citywide anyway because there will be multiple pipeline breaks. Um, so coming back from that big, big earthquake is going to just take a long time of recovery. And we worked very closely with uh, Brian's staff as well as the fire department on what that response and recovery protocol is going to look like. And we feel like having this pipeline that we can get potable water back in within 24 hours um, and be able to have people walk to fire hydrants and get potable water uh, is going to be a major, major improvement for emergency recovery. Thank you. But back just to the easy fix, which is, I mean, the, in LA they mandated this, right? Yep, they did. And, and they did it. What was that? They, uh, they, I mean, this they did it, yeah. They didn't listen to PG&E, that's what you're saying. Alameda, Berkeley, city of Berkeley, so it's, and, and by the way, PG&E is not, I mean, I've talked to them a time or two over the years, and it's not like they are out to, it's not guns blazing kind of, right. it's like they keep raising questions and this and that. I mean, you could do it in many different ways. You could phase it in when anybody does a retrofit over a certain amount of value, or you could phase it in by geographic area relative to risk, you know, with dense areas being the highest, you know, risk category and you know, single-family detached homes being a lower, you know, later right. category. But it's, it just seems like this is something that we could just legislate. Yeah, no, I I agree. I and again, maybe the fire marshal could also comment on this. But I, I know that we, that PG&E for many years was concerned that people were going to try to turn on the pilot lights themselves, and that in when they were trying to when they were attempting to turn on the pilot lights, that that would be the potential for right for some type of ignition in and of itself. I don't think they are taking that strongest stance. I've not heard that really that argument in the past four or five years. Um, but yeah, that is where it, where it sits. And yeah, I, I think legislation like this would, would make sense. Um, 
if I can just go to the next slide very quickly, because I know Supervisor Melgar was just interested in providing a little bit of context on the GEO bond program. So just to remind you, um, Katie, Katie talked about a $4 billion program by 2045. Our entire capital plan for the next 10 years is $2.1 billion. Uh, and this lays out the various bonds that we have and the various bond programs. So we just had an ESER bond in 2020. The next one is in 2028. It's estimated at $310 million. We would love that to go higher, um, but and we're going to need to see you know property values go up uh, before we're likely to see that number go up, or or we're going to have to make some decisions about changing the way um, the cap that we've uh, that we've put in place for our geo bond program. The discussions about how that $310 million um, bond is going to be split between fire stations, police stations, and EFWS is to be determined, I mean, or to be done. Uh, we've already been approached by both police and fire and likely in the next update to the capital plan, which, which will start in September or so, we'll begin to have those discussions, you know, about, okay, how do we, how do we think about splitting this amount in a way that's fair for everyone? And just out of curiosity, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I know the gas shutoffs is a private thing, but could the city pay for that? I, I don't know how much the city could pay for it, because it is a private thing. If we, if we were to use geo bonds or something, I think we would probably have to, those would have to be taxable instead of tax exempt. Um, but I'd have to check with the city attorney. Or we could do like something like Berkeley did with their seismic retrofit program, which was gave them a break on their property taxes one time if they did seismic retrofits. Right, right. And they actually were able to get some FEMA money, which was not easy to do, but they did get some FEMA money that they were able to uh, use to sort of reimburse property owners for making seismic improvements. So... Um, with that, I think that the next chart I have is something you've all seen. It just shows the tax constraint over the next 10 years and, and how we are really pushing up against it all throughout the 10-year capital plan. Um, so with that, I will pass it over to the fire department. Hold, hold on. Oh. I have some questions for you, if that's okay. Okay. I'm you sorry. Wanna take them now? <laughs> sorry, so my, my questions uh, were sort of on the other side of what uh, President Peskin was talking about, because I do uh, want this investment on the west side. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, here at the La Land Use Committee, we have been grappling with you know, uh, how to adapt our local code to the promise that's, that we've made to the state on the housing element. Um, and uh, these maps don't necessarily reflect that. So we have, you know, uh, the, we did the streamlining last month. Um, mm -hmm. We are gonna, we have a, a, a upzoning proposal that everybody's like now like wrapping their heads around. Um, and, you know, we did pass, um, you know, so lots of legislation to make it easier, faster to build up to four units in every single family lot. So one of the things that we could do is when people do permits, you know, require uh, the gas shutoff, and that would yeah. be like an easy thing, you know, relatively cheap compared to, you know, building four units. But I'm wondering if, you know, uh, when we look at 2028, by that time we will have caught up with, you know, like I, I know that we've been thinking about this for a long time, and it may or may not reflect, you know, the 
the work that other folks in the planning department are doing in terms of upzoning, density decontrol, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, tr uh, transit-oriented development, the big opportunity lots on the west side. I mean, I know we have like Stonestown Park, Merced, Balboa Reservoir uh, yeah. coming, um, and so and you know, in in uh, in the sunset in the Richmond, there's other you know also opportunity lots where you know we want to build more density affordable housing i mean there's all of these things that we've been thinking about in this committee and i'm wondering you know how that interacts with these plans because i don't want to pass up the opportunity when we are doing development agreements when we are yeah. Thinking about how to, you know, have these relatively low-cost uh, things uh, that we can require of homeowners when they're putting in their ADUs or whatever. So, can we talk about that? You're the planning guy. <laughs> yeah. I, no. No. Absolutely. I mean, I think that coordination is vital, and you know, we're doing our collaborative. I was just thinking about we have our local hazard mitigation plan or our climate and hazards resilience plan, is what we call it that is required to be done every five years, and it does go into all these different areas, and it is a collaborative process where we're working really closely with planning, fire, police, all those different people around, okay, what are we doing about addressing fire hazards, earthquake hazards, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, addressing heat, you know, sea level rise, flooding, all of those things. So. The idea is that those should be incorporated into the new developments, certainly, and the way that we're thinking about code changes, too. So if we are adding density, um, ensuring that that we're thinking about the overall resilience of the neighborhood or the community where that density is being added. Um, sure. So, I mean, you know, like, yeah. of course, those, in, you know, individual developments and the development yep. agreements will reflect that. But I'm talking about between you all. So between, yeah. you know, PUC, planning department, because, you know, once you put out this map, you know, and people start working on it and the fire department says, yeah, well, this is where, you know, and then yeah. Stonestown say we're going to, you know, like build on our parking lot. But, you know, years ago, we had already decided that the system was going to stop two blocks short. You know, that sort of like. You know. And so we need to make those adjustments. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, these are all very new uh, decisions that we've made, that we just yeah. made. The um, We just decided on the housing element last right. year, right? That right. locks us in for 10 years. But I'm wondering, and I understand, right, that when you're doing capital planning, you're doing like 10 years out, right? And then thinking about the money and the payment on the debt for many yeah. years out. So I know that there's like a timing issue, but I'm wondering, because this is new and now we're committed to it, how how we uh, coordinate those things and um, make sure that we leverage, um, you know, what the work that you're all doing with the promises that we're making. Okay. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I know. Um, thank you for that question. I, I just want to comment from the PUC's perspective. We do have a group that uh, is our, a development coordination group that reports directly to our general manager. And they work closely with um, our, our capital planning group as well as the city distribution division and the fire department um, as the developments are, are coming to fruition, especially the larger ones. Um, we require them to put in connections to the emergency firefighting water system. So Lake Merced uh, um, will be, I'm sorry, uh, Park Merced will be connected. And in fact, they're, we're requiring them to put pipelines all through their development. Um, Stonestown will have a connection 
And um, we've already done several connections along the southeast waterfront that you saw in that slide where there was some little, you know, Terry Fence Boulevard, the, the Warriors Project helped pay for that as well as the housing developments along there. So we do try to um, get those, all the new developments with more dense housing to give their fair share and pay forward into the EFWS. So I hope that helps. I know there's more we can do. Yeah, that was that's like the other side of the question. So I I just want to reiterate where I was going with this. It wasn't that you know I was worried that we couldn't get it out of the private developer because I think we can do that. But I think that once you put out a map, it locks us in because once you cut the street, you're not going to cut the street again. You know, in two or three years, if the zoning map changes, and that's what I'm talking about. It's like what is the point of coordination? Yeah, I, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, and I think okay. this is something that we're, you know, we're trying. We had a discussion today at the Capital Planning Committee about the interagency planning implementation fees and and how those are going. And there's a whole group that's focused on on that effort and and making sure that when we have these new fees come into place, that they're that they're talking about new neighborhoods and how the new neighborhoods are going to become, um, how they're going to add services, but also become more resilient. Uh, and and I think, I mean, I guess that's my perspective on this. Is are we are you know, we we have various systems, processes. Like I said, the hazards and climate resilience plan we do every five years. Our capital plan we do every two years. Um, we have the climate SF program that's meeting on a regular basis to talk about various projects. Uh, those are those are some of the places where we're having those discussions. Um, but I'm happy to follow up because because I'm not sure that's getting exactly at what you're talking about here. Right. So I'm happy to follow yeah. up with and you let and me see. And this is yeah. a, a sort of more a political question too, right? Because yeah, yeah, Supervisor Chan and I represent districts that are relatively low density. And yeah. there's a, a pro and several proposals like right now on the table that we are being required to pursue by the state. Yeah. And we have to convince our people that they were not gonna, they're not going to be worse off. That, you know, uh, you yeah. know, there's a potential for, you know, higher density in their neighborhoods while their system, the systems that we have to keep people safe are not adequate yet. And are we planning on it? Are we going to do, you know, like, are we going to actually do the infrastructure work required to like keep people safe while we're also making these promises? Because it's tough, right, to convince people that change can happen and it'll be better um, if we're not also paying attention to the infrastructure that we need. That's what I'm saying. It's just like, you know, yeah. like we need to yeah. put our money where our mouth yeah. is. If if we're, you know, uh, you know, trying to get people's support. Yeah, yeah. If I may, when we performed the 2050 planning study, uh, that was just a few years ago, um, uh, and we actually did pull up all the planning department's uh, proposed but jobs. But this wasn't and on I the radar yeah. I know it keeps changing. I know, I know there's more. Yeah, um, and it's changing and really fast. Like at this the committee alone, you know, we have had multiple iterations. I'm, I'm sorry to like just keep, you know, belaboring the point, but, you know, we've seen it in this committee quite a bit, and it's come hard and fast, and, you know, yeah, well, th for the alignment that's there, that is why it does go by uh, Park Merced and then close to Stonestown so that we can capture those big ones. But this, as I said, we need to constantly relook at this. We can't just say that's going to be 2050. And, and so, um, you know, we're committed to continuing to look. And as we, you know, uh, continue to put pipe in the ground, we'll continue looking at where those densities are. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, sorry, Mr. Latrope.
think this is a very important part of the conversation, but not the one I'm here for. Uh, <laughs> Deputy Chief Darius Lutrup, Chief of Operations, San Francisco Fire Department, Chair Melgar, Co-Chair Preston, President Peskin, and Supervisor Chan. Uh, I've just been asked to provide update on our firefighting capabilities in the Richmond and Sunset as they exist. So with <coughs> the previous Easter bonds and the improvements to our existing AWSS, Mr. President, and EFWS, as the kids like to call it, um, we find ourselves with a system that now is uh, more stout, more robust, uh, will have the ability to fight fire throughout the city. The changes that were uh, required on the west side in the Richmond and the Sunset were uh, greater stored water capability, and that was the cisterns that were uh, installed throughout D1 and, and, and in the Sunset. Um, these are all in place, and, and that system is working well. To utilize that system, the fire department uh, was granted funds to buy three hose tenders, and these hose tenders are mighty beasts, and we look forward to seeing you all at the demonstration that our water supply officer, Captain Cotter, no, you're not gonna be there? No, come on now. The 31st, I promise it won't rain, and we will uh, have a tremendous display. I hope uh, everyone from the Board of Supervisors can be there. Um, to utilize this tool, requires a, a great deal of equipment um, and it requires a water supply that will be in place someday if the potable emergency firefighter watering system goes in and is extended into the Richmond. Uh, we have had conversation um, about some of the things that the PUC brought up earlier and that is maintaining the existing system, which is our manifolds and is our uh, fireboat's connection to the existing EFWS. These are very, very important to us. Um, there are other neighborhoods in the city. I, I know that you are very partial to a couple of them, but um, we, we will be locating the initial two hose tenders in your districts um, with the intent of protecting the west side of the city. The third will go into D10 where we've utilized our, our portable water supply system on multiple occasions and we want these host tenders to be in areas of standing water and then we have access to the bay in that neighborhood. Um, I, I'm not gonna weigh into the questions that you were asking previously, uh, Chair, but we are asking for support of this system as it exists, not necessarily a continued building of pipe in the ground to augment a system that doesn't currently exist. And I'm happy to have that conversation anytime. Um, but this is the state of play as it is. Again, the 31st, looking forward to it. Um, and I'm happy to take any questions on firefighting on the west side of town. Thank you, Chair. I, I think the questions that I have, and I'm not, um, I, I think this is more for SFPUC uh, to answer and really wanted to just go back to slide five uh, in your presentation so that I can clearly understand a few things. Um, first is just to clarify, I'm seeing on here that uh, on slide five, uh, there's pump station one and two, so um, it's like a little rectangle that it's PS, but at the same time, there is also the red, it, there's like uh, on, on the map here, it, it's there's PS, but also in the red rectangle. So I'm trying to understand exactly where are the P pump station one and two, and then uh, exactly what are the red tangles are. Yes, pump station one and two are the red rectangles. Okay. 
And, and so there the are basically triangles are the fireboat manifolds. And and I'm seeing three gray or well, I'm seeing three gray triangles and two red tri uh, three red triangles. Uh, yeah, those are actually cylinders. I apologize. We, oh. we pulled this together pretty quickly, and we should have made them different colors or something. But there are three cylinders that are tanks. Those are um, those are our storage, storage tanks. Exactly. Right. Twin Peaks, uh, Jones, and Ashbury tanks. You do have red triangles and gray triangles, though, also on the map. Can you see them? Yes. They are actually along the waterfront from northeast to southeast. And I apologize for that too. The three one, triangles two, are the locations of the ones that we're working on now, that we're rebuilding. The gray ones are the existing ones. The manifolds. I'm sorry, the manifolds. Yes. The three manifolds that we're planning on rebuilding and the gray ones are the ones that are still in adequate in condition. Yeah. And then, so the, the I'm gonna, um, again, my apologies, but I'm seeing black circles and red circles all around. And my assumption is they're the cistern, uh, cisterns that is um, currently in place, but help me understand what are the difference between the black ones and the red ones. Uh, I believe that, let's see, the red ones are ones that we have already built and those should probably be black or a different color. Uh, I apologize for the confusion, um, but those are the 30 sister. The red ones are the 30 cisterns that we have installed under the Easter bond funding. The new ones. They're the new ones to be built. No, I'm sorry. The red ones, and this is where it's confusing, the red ones have already been built. And then the black ones are? The black ones were the ones that were here from the previous, uh, the existing system. Great. And with that, and now I'm going to go into what clear, it's more clear to us, and, and it's really the green ones that are unfunded pipeline, um, and then to be determined between 24 for 36 inches pipes, um, and then we were seeing the blue ones and the red ones are uh, either, uh, continue to be unfunded, but conventional ones, and verse, which is 36 inches, the red ones, Wait, yeah, red ones are 24 inches, uh, and then we, we see those are the, the red ones that are also uh, in progress. Uh, yes, if I may, the gray ones are all different sizes of pipelines that are already part of the existing system. The yeah. red pipelines are the ones that are currently funded with Easter 2020 that we will be building or have built um, you see along Irving there, that was a 19th and Irving was a significant replacement project. Um, but the other ones are what we're talking about now, the potable emergency firefighting water system uh, projects, uh, contracts, uh, C, A, B, C, A, A, and B. The green pipelines are proposed future potable emergency firefighting water system. This would connect to the potable system and the backup supply would be Lake Merced. The blue lines are ex um, new pipelines, new proposed pipelines that would connect to our conventional emergency firefighting water system and would be uh, fed water, they would be non-potable and they would be fed bay water from our pump stations. Yeah, and that's where I wanted to say, um, clearly, if 
if I remember correctly, you know, in our pre based on our previous conversation, um, not not just with you and I, but or with your team, but previous conversation in the last two years, that there were been discussions about pump station. I'm not going to name, I'm not going to number them for you because then that that's adding more confusion. But pump stations that potentially located in southeast sectors of the city, as well as on the west side, and and they're not listed here. Um, that is correct. What is shown is a seawater supply on the east side of San Francisco that would uh, be additional water supply for the blue pipelines or the conventional EFWS. And that is because we think it's feasible to put in one or more pump stations on the bay side, um, but we uh, all our studies have determined it would be highly unfeasible to put a saltwater pump station on the west side out at Ocean Beach um, because of, of what we know about the uh, climate beat, uh, the Ocean Beach uh, uh, plan, the resilience issues out there, and the environmental issues. So we've had a third party review of that, and they don't think that that's feasible. Um, so the supply for the west side would be Lake Merced. And then uh, not only so I, I think then here's the question um, where the planning, the $4 billion by 2046 planning study, just the study alone, we're not talking about building out anything. This is, this is just like here's your drawing of a plan and design, not including construction costs and all that. And with that, we, I, I think the question is, um, thank you so much for coming up roughly almost 300, 300 million, I wish it's $300, but it's really $300 million of the water bond to really help us uh, plan out the, the wet side system so that we could be shovel ready by 2028. Um, the question that I do have, though, with that design that, you know, we, we're looking at roughly $300 million so that it can be shuffle-ready 2028, it does not include, um, it's really just for the wet side system design and build out, but it does not include a consideration for a salt water pump station for the wet side with that, with that planning. That is correct. <laughs> and then, um, and of course, then, you know, we still need, clearly need, we need more money for the Southeast sector to, to plan out, um, which is, again, the unfunded uh, and, and with maybe a bay, side, bay water uh, pump station uh, on the Southeast sector of the city. But that is not inclusive of that uh, water bond uh, planning because that water bond planning money funding is just for the west side. That's correct. And then um, I wanted to understand, we are shifting some of the monies that currently we have from the Esther bond from 2020 to the three fireboats manifolds, which again, I, I believe um, it, just like this uh, emergency firefighting water system, um, the cost estimates also now to, as to date have significantly increased and Therefore, we can see uh, shifting the ESSER, 2020, ESSER bond 2020 into uh, funding the, all three manifolds. 
Uh, it would just be two manifolds. Um, I didn't want to spend too much time on it today, but uh, we've worked closely with the fire department and we feel that it's prudent for Pier 33 and a half to wait until the seawall improvements are done and coordinate that with the port. So that would be a future, a future improvement. But where we can, where we do think is important because of the risk of failure is at Fort Mason. So that's the really important one. Uh, the Mission uh, Bay Ferry is only about $2 million. It's a very low cost for a big benefit. Um, the uh, Fort Mason is about $18 million. Uh, originally, um, our commitment for Easter Bond funding was about $20 million for the fireboat manifolds. So it's still in line with what we talked about. We just wanted, I think the fire department was concerned and they didn't want that funding to get shifted away to the west side. Uh, when they know the Fort Mason uh, funding is so important. And clearly I'm not here to, I'm only questioning, I'm not, I'm not uh, jumping into um, judgment about making that decisions about 39, um, Pier 39 and a half. Um, but given though, it, it, it is nonetheless very critical space. I, I do think that having a manifold there is important and giving its commercial areas and many things, commercial fishing areas and, and clearly also on the port side as well as the land side, many activities uh, connecting to, to, to the water uh, on the, from the land, commercial activities again. Um, what is the anticipation then uh, in terms of, you mean seawall, um, then that means that's going to wait until 2028. And so approximately how much are we anticipating for the manifold at the Pier 39 for 2028 seawall bond? You know, we really haven't gotten that far. We know it's a super difficult project because it has to go under the Embarcadero and there's all kinds of utility conflicts. And so we're, we've got ideas about how to do it. Um, but it's, it's probably a, a $20 million project if we were to do it today. But we think if we can do it with the seawall improvements, we might be able to reduce the cost of that. Um, there's probably going to have to be some utilities moved anyway to accommodate that. And so if we do it in coordination with that, we can probably find a better solution than we can find right now. Yeah. I, I, I just want to articulate um, from both, I, I'm sure you, we all have heard these debates about, and I'm going to go back to the west side pump station, uh, specifically about saltwater versus what is happening at Lake Merced. I, and I clearly am not an expert, uh, but what I'm seeing both from having the last decade long moving like sand and mud from Kelly Cove side of of the ocean to the slope side of the ocean, but it's still falling off into the ocean. The earth is falling into the ocean. And it just, it's mother nature that I, I don't know if uh, any type of human planning can really, um, to, to really tackle. Um, I, I, I hope that we do the best that we can uh, with, the, with the resources that we have, but clearly the competing needs all around the city. Um, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the work that we're doing. I do ask, um, you know, as we continue this, um, we, we will at some point have to make the call that about the saltwater pump station as well as portable, non-portable uh, water pump station, which is 
at like Merced and in this design of 300 million that we, we are clear with what we can really do and invest in what we can, um, but to provide both the, some communications to the community um, and to about how do we get there, uh, including the decisions between 36 and 24 inches pipes and, and how do we see that it works. It's just from your and fire department's perspective, from SFPUC and the fire department's perspective, explain to lay people like myself in a way that help us understand what, what are our clear, what are our choices ahead of us, especially for policymakers, what are our choices in front of us, um, and hopefully that gets us in 2028, that we're in a space where we could be shuffle ready, that we're ready to, to, to make some concrete work. Um, Meanwhile, I, I am, I for one clearly uh, am uh, in a space where I do want to continue to invest in uh, host tenders. It's flexible, it's, um, it's allow us to fight waters all around the city, uh, it's equipments that we can invest in. But I do also recognize uh, investing in host tender does also mean that we need to invest in training, invest in staffing um, to make sure that we, we could, you um, took, utilize the host tenders in the time that we need to. Um, I have a lot of concerns, you know, giving our first responders been short staff and have um, including accruing significant uh, overtime. So I just want to leave that for now and I appreciate uh, for today. I do ask that, um, you know, as before we go to public comment, I want to articulate it's my intention that we will continue this um, hearing to the call chair, that we can continue to come back, um, perhaps if not quarterly, but every six months to be able to understand um, the design progress and, um, you know, financing um, that it's really uh, supporting that design. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Ms. Miller. Um, let's go to public comment on this item. Thank you, Madam Chair. If you have public comment on agenda item number six, please come forward to the lectern at this time, and I'll start your time once I hear you begin. Eileen Boken uh, with Speak in strong agreement uh, with continuing this item. Uh, two underlining issues still uh, exist for AWAS the a MOU for the transfer of AOS from the fire department to the PUC was never fully executed as the approval never came before the fire commission. Uh, the PUC is using Easter bond funds for potable water AWAS, which appears to be inconsistent with Prop 218 and possibly illegal. It's unclear why the PUC suddenly shifted from dedicated AWAS to potable water AWAS for the west side. This policy change uh, does not appear to have been approved by the PUC Commission. A public records request has been submitted regarding uh, this change in policy. Uh, Stonestown will not have a connection to the AWAS per their community advisory group. Uh, the current language for the 2028 Easter bond is for southeast area only, not the northwest area. Uh, the, I would disagree with the AWAS pump station is infeasible. It has to do with the PUC's debt portfolio. Uh, the PUC has an outfall pipe in this area. This can be part of development agreements for Stonestown, Balboa Reservoir, and Park Merced, and also per uh, retired assistant deputy chief to flush out the pipes if they're contaminated by Lake Merced water would take a day and a half to two days. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen Boken, for sharing your comments to the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on this hearing regarding the emergency firefighting water system? 
Madam Chair. Thank you so much. With that, public comment is now closed. Um, so as per uh, Supervisor Chan, um, I'd like to make a motion that we continue this item to the call of the chair. Uh, the motion offered by the chair that this hearing be continued to the call of the chair, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin is noted absent. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are two ayes and ma uh, Member Peskin is absent. Thank you. That uh, motion passes. We will continue talking about this. I want to thank Supervisor Chan for uh, you know, bringing this to our attention and for continuing the conversation and hope we can continue working together to make sure we all uh, are on the same page. Um, are there any other items on our agenda? There is no further business. Okay. We're now adjourned. Thank you.